Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Glad to see so many of you made it this morning. Ugly out there, isn't it? But we thank God for the rain. We thank God for the rain. For the past several weeks, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit and how He works in our lives. And we began by looking at the words of Jesus as he explained that the Holy Spirit is God and that he is also a person. We saw how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament and in the life of Jesus and saw that the way he works is consistent Throughout the scriptures, we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of salvation and discussed the idea of the baptism and of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christ follower. We've examined how the Holy Spirit guides us through God's word and how to recognize his voice when he speaks to our spirit and in previous sermons past we've learned about the fruit that the holy spirit wants to develop in our lives fruit that is consistent with his character and of course we've talked about the spiritual gifts we've talked about how the spiritual gifts that the holy spirit distributes to each believer In order to build up the body of Christ. As we've gone through this series, and we will for the next several weeks, I want to focus on how we can take all these things that we're learning and make sure that we we don't just engage in some sort of like academic exercise, which results only in information, but to put these things into practice in our lives and through application. And I'm going to approach that task from two angles this week. I want us to examine the ways that we hinder ourselves and hinder the Holy Spirit from doing his work in our lives. And we'll focus on some things that we can do that might clog up our lives so much that it makes it difficult for the Holy Spirit to operate as he desires. And then next week, we'll look at the approaching process of application from a more positive angle and talk about how we can walk in the Spirit on a consistent basis. So you get your positive today, or I'm sorry, you get your positive (laughs) next week so you can only imagine what today is going to look like so there's the door now if you'd like to head on out but it's a little windy out there so i don't recommend it but before i get into the sermon this morning i'd like to say this all of these without messages that we've brought to you so far This one is the most 
troubling, and I'll explain. So many churches today are filled with sinners and little salvation. The difference between the average church member and the average unchurched person is very vague. The average church member will come to church 24 times a year. They will give $900 a year to the church, read their Bibles 52 times over five years, witness to one person during the year, have a pseudo-salvation, while on the other hand an unchurched person will come to church maybe once or twice a year, give nothing to the church, will not read the Bible if they even have one, will not witness and have no salvation. This poll was taken a few years back and stated that 50%, that's right, 50% of the names on the average church roll is lost. Does that surprise you? 50%. So if I was to cut right down the middle here, saved, lost. Does that scare you? Yeah. I was shocked when I read it too. Churches today have gotten too wrapped up in size, attendance, budget, instead of soul winning. Instead of soul winning, and quite honestly, yes, it is the quest for size and number may put people in the pews. It may put them in the pews, but it doesn't put them in heaven. It doesn't put them in heaven. And I want to share with you how we can ensure that we do not fall into this mold. And our members, our members here have a solid salvation. How do we know that? Our lifestyle proves our sinfulness. Let me say that again. Our lifestyles proves our Sinfulness. When we choose to break public law, what happens? We're criminals, right? When we choose to break the law of God, what happens? We are sinners. One day God will break us, and when we continue to break his law, he will break us. Counseling, meditation, education, and prison cannot, I repeat, cannot change who we are on the inside. The only thing that can change the natural lifestyle of sin is Jesus Christ. We will always conduct our lives in the manner of the inner source of our life. Would you agree with that? If your inner source is void, then all of your actions will be of 
fruitlessness and produce nothing good. But if your inner source is the Holy Spirit that resides in you, your conduct will be that of modeling the Savior himself. When you truly have the Savior in your life, there will be a change about you. You, and more importantly, others will notice a change in your actions, personality, your manner of living. Righteousness that proves salvation. Righteousness that proves salvation. There is nothing that we can do alone to change ourselves. Do you understand that? There is nothing that we can do alone to change ourselves. Once we surrender to Jesus Christ and receive genuine salvation from God, that will change us from the inside out. Question. Has your salvation changed you? Has your salvation changed you? And can you pinpoint a time in your life when Christ entered your life and your lifestyle changed? There are plenty of people that tell you, they tell me, that they are saved and that they have accepted Christ as their Savior. But they just can't remember a time when they shifted gears and headed in God's direction. That is probably because they never changed. And that salvation experience that they say that they had must be questioned. When you are truly humbled and accept Christ as your Lord, you become a willing vessel and allow God to start to mold you in the likeness of Christ. So having said that, let me start the sermon. How do we sin against the Holy Spirit? How do we sin against the Holy Spirit? There are five passages of Scripture in the Bible that reveal specific Sins against the Holy Spirit, and we'll look at all five of those this morning. Those five can be broken down into two groups, and we'll see that within each of those two groups, the sins that are revealed in Scripture are closely related. So let's begin with sins against the Holy Spirit by unbelievers. By unbelievers. The three ways that unbelievers can sin against the Holy Spirit are all related. First of all, they resist the Holy Spirit. We see this sin against the Holy Spirit in the account of the uh, stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. In that, after being falsely accused of blasphemy against God by those who... Um, disputed him in some of the local synagogues. Stephen was arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. Chapter, chapter 7 of Acts 
records his defense of his faith in Jesus. And you can turn there now. Acts chapter 7. That's where we'll be this morning. But Acts chapter 7 records this and he directs this condemnation to the men of the council. Stephen is obviously addressing his condemnation to those who were not followers of Jesus. In fact, these men were actually persecuting Christ and Christ's followers. And the sin that they were guilty of was resisting the Holy Spirit. In the previous chapter, in Acts chapter 6, Stephen is described as being full of the Holy Spirit. A description which is repeated again at the end of chapter 7. And Stephen is also described in chapter 6 as speaking by the wisdom of the Spirit. So as he shares the gospel in Acts chapter 7, his words are not just his words, but they are the words of the Holy Spirit being spoken through him. And I think it's also safe to assume that the Holy Spirit was um, working on the hearts of those who heard Stephen's words. But because those hearts were so hard, those men resisted the work of the Holy Spirit that was occurring. So instead of responding as the Spirit desired and surrendering, surrendering their lives to God and trusting in Jesus... They chose to reject the truth that was being revealed to them and choose instead to hang on to their own idea of the truth, much like many of our unbelievers today. They reject the Holy Spirit because they reject the truth. They reject the truth. And as we've seen in this series of the Holy Spirit, one of the most important tasks is to draw people to Jesus and reveal the truth about the salvation that he offers to those who will trust in him. And the Holy Spirit continues to do that in this world today. But, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are just like the religious leaders that Stephen addressed who resist that revelation and therefore miss out on the abundant eternal life that he desires for them to have. Just like I could stand up here or anybody else for that matter can sit here and tell you that you need Jesus in your life. But if you don't accept it, there's not much we can do, right? Or is there? Or is there? You see, the second way a unbeliever can sin against the Holy Spirit is by outraging the Holy Spirit. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, the author is writing about how we can have confidence to approach God because of our faith in Jesus. The one who made it possible for us to have a relationship with God through his sacrificial death. He emphasizes how our hearts have been made clean before God by Jesus. But then he writes a word of warning to those who have received the truth about that salvation offered by Jesus. 
and who can obviously reject that salvation so that they can go on living lives that are characterized by consistent, deliberate, unrepentant sin. And he points out that those who do that and who sin against the Holy Spirit are outraging him. It's an outrage. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of of grace. Hebrews 10:29. The author of Hebrews isn't describing those who reject a religion, but rather those who reject the person of God. And that's because being a Christ follower is not a matter of entering into a relationship, not engaging in a religion. And as the person of the triune God who is personally responsible for drawing a person to God, revealing his or her sin and need for a savior, and who is the agent by which that person's dead spirit, which we talked about last week, can be regenerated. The Holy Spirit is insulted and outraged when a person rejects the work he is doing in his or her life. Who are we to deny the Holy Spirit? Who are we to deny the truth? And the author of Hebrews is obviously addressing unbelievers with this warning. Only those who have refused to trust in Jesus for their salvation can be said to have trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of Jesus and are therefore subject to God's wrath. As Jesus made quite clear, those who have genuinely received the gift of eternal life that he offers are secure In his hands. Amen. You are secure. How does that make you feel? Secure. Right? John chapter 8 verses 28 and 29. I give them eternal life. And they will never, never, never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given to them me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Based on those words, it is not just possible that believers could ever be guilty of outraging the Holy Spirit in this manner. The sin of outraging the Holy Spirit certainly seems much more severe than the act of resisting Him. But there is one way that an unbeliever can sin against the Holy Spirit that is even more severe. And we know what that is. We talked about it in our call to worship this morning. And that is blasphemy 
of the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus' comments about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And we're going to use Matthew's account this morning. And since his account provides us with more detail about the circumstances of which led to those words, he says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This topic of blasphemy, and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit specifically, is a difficult one to tackle. Would you agree? And there is certainly no shortage of ideas about what Jesus means here, but it is certainly worth grappling with since it obviously is an important matter, since it is the one thing that God does not forgive. So I think it would bode us well if we took some time to understand what he means. But as always, context is very crucial here. Context is crucial in understanding what Jesus meant. Matthew records that Jesus had just healed a demon-oppressed man and who was blind and mute. And although most of the people were amazed... The Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan, Beelzebub, which of course is another name for Satan. Jesus points out the folly of that claim, that Satan would cast out his own demons, and then he spoke these key words. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 12. So given the context here, it seems pretty clear that in that case, blasphemy of the Spirit was the act of attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. These people saw the divine power of the Holy Spirit working in Jesus' life, which was evidence that Jesus was ushering in the kingdom of God right before them. But these religious leaders, they refused to believe that the Holy Spirit was at work in Jesus' ministry. And they went so far as to give credit is impossible to receive salvation. That sin was unforgivable because it struck at the very heart of the redemptive work of Jesus, which he carried out. And as we've seen previously in this series, by the empowering Bible scholars and commentators that hold time 
that we do that, we harden our heart. Severe consequence right now and not waiting. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hebrews chapter 3. For your salvation. Then the fact is that you're guilty of one or all. He's given you this life for a purpose. He's given you this life as a gesture to you. By confessing him to God. Asking him to for Christ followers. And there are two specific sins. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19. When you hear the word, word quench here. The definition. You're going to make a big old mess. Stanley you know what I'm talking about. Not him personally. What oxygen is to the. We should be celebrating. We should be excited to be here. There is to be a habit of rejoicing. The person and works of God should be celebrated with praise, excitement, and zeal. So, what does that mean for you and I? Let's put our and is uncommon for God Himself. And this morning, how we quench? How do you know? God? How do we seek God? There's a big decision to be made. Whenever God's Holy Spirit guides us in this manner, and we choose not to follow His leading, then we the Spirit. Quenching is what we do when we resist the Spirit's leading in our lives, and grieving us to develop fruit and quenches the Holy Spirit. Because when we sin, we either fail to do something that the Holy Spirit is leading us to do, or... We're doing something that the Holy Spirit has revealed we are not to do. And therefore, all of our sin also grieves the Holy Spirit as well. We'll also see you a similar invitation to those of us who are in Christ, but have sinned against the Holy Spirit by quenching and therefore us grieving Him. So I'm going to give us all and purify you and restore your relationship to him. Now, some of you might call this that awkward moment, that awkward moment of silence. I see it as a grand gesture to God that we confess our sins and submit ourselves to his calling and not our own. That we spend a little time giving back to our Lord and giving thanks to Him who can make us whole. Amen? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. And while Dave and Teresa will come and play, I'm going to ask that you give a few moments to God this morning. Pray about that sin that's in your life that needs to be confessed. That needs to be made right with God so that God can come into your life and make you whole once again.
spend some time now. for who you are. We thank you that you love us and that you forgive us. Lord, we have sin in our lives that prevent us from hearing the call of your spirit. I ask now that you remove that from us, that you allow us to be taken down the path of righteousness. And we only achieve that through our relationship to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you have provided a way. You have provided an opportunity. Lord, I pray that every single person in this sanctuary of yours, that that is their desire this morning in their heart. Remove us from our transgressions so that, Lord, we can live a life that is pleasing to you. We're so grateful for where we are, the ability to be in commune with you, to be led by you. Lord, I pray you give us the strength, even in times when it's not easy to be full of strength. We go through trials. We go through tribulations. But Lord, you're right there with us every step of the way. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for that mercy. And Lord, we ask and we pray and we plead that your Holy Spirit will be with us always as he is welcomed here in the lives of all people here and those that we reach outside of these walls. Lord, let it be ever clear 
that you are certainly alive and well. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We give you all praise and glory and honor to your name. We could never say enough to express how grateful we are to be in your service. And I pray if there are those who do not know you, who have not received life everlasting, that they do not leave here today without grabbing their neighbor, their deacon, whoever it may be, Lord, that could lead them to that path of righteousness. I pray that they do not leave here today without knowing what it is to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I look forward to rejoicing with them, sharing our lives with them, empowering them all through the glorification of you and who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord today. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.